Church family, as I interact with what we're singing today, I am sitting there on the front row singing about how Jesus has declared that death no longer has a claim on me. And I'm thinking about baptism and just as you know, Jay stands up from the water declaring the resurrection of Jesus and declaring one day his own resurrection, man, I just couldn't be filled with more goosebumps than I am today. So thank you for gathering. I cannot wait to see what God will do with each one of us. So I just want to, as the choir finds their spot, I want to give you a little lanyard. That's a uh, deep south for a little something extra, right? Yeah, Louisiana, Chris. Chris is from Louisiana. Did y'all know that? We've been working really hard on him. He, he wears his shoes now. He uh, doesn't cuss in church anymore. He's doing great. Just, just kidding. Just kidding to all my Louisiana friends. We're full of, full of fine folks from Louisiana. Let me give you a little lanyard. So Jay and Mo moved about two years ago from California to Mississippi. They found the church. They found our community. They loved their neighbors. They loved our city. Uh, they just, they loved you and you guys, I appreciate you for doing that. But what I think is neat, what I want to pass forward is right after that, they said, hey, listen, we've invited some friends to come join us. And it wasn't long after that, that Tim and Fawn, friends from California, moved to across the street from Jay and Mo. And we had like this whole California contingency that we're glad to have. And I just want to say, you know, in the first year they were here, they, they invited friends to church. When was the last time you invited a friend to church? Let's all invite somebody to church, because Jay did. So congratulations, Jay. We're so proud of your baptism. Let's just thank God for what he's done today, and we'll get started. Okay, we're in our Nine Ways sermon series. So we're talking about discipleship. We're talking about what does it look like for you and I to follow Jesus. We don't think that following Jesus is just us acting religious or just that we would stop doing some bad things. We think that following Jesus is much bigger than that. And we needed a way to explore this. We needed a way to be able to kind of evaluate ourselves. So we read through the Gospels and we found nine things that the followers of Jesus were doing differently than the other religious people in the world of Jesus. Because it turns out everybody in the Gospels was religious just about. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, I mean, they were so different than Jesus and his disciples. So as we read the Bible, we start exploring, and we develop these nine ways to follow Jesus. And for us, what these are, basically these are nine ways we want to look at our life and ask ourselves the question, am I growing in Jesus today? And we look at these areas and we say, am I growing here? Am I growing here? Am I growing here? Okay, so today we're talking about obedience. And I want to ask you guys to turn your Bibles to the book of Matthew, to chapter 21. Okay, so I'm going to read a parable of two sons. And I'm asking you the question, of, are you obeying Jesus today? Are you obedient to Christ? So this is what Jesus has to say. What do you think? This is, I'm sorry, chapter 21, verse 28. Jesus said, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later, he changed his mind and he went. So then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. So Jesus asked the question, 
Which of the two did what his father wanted? Okay, so this is a sermon about obedience, obeying God, doing what Jesus wants. And I recognize that in the South, in the Bible Belt, in Mississippi, it's really easy for us to fall into the trap of being real religious, but not obeying Jesus when he tells us to do something, right? We've, we've learned to do that to an art form. And so I thought we might need to shake it up a little this, for this sermon just to keep us tuned in. So I thought we would illustrate this slowly and carefully. Can I get my helpful assistants to join me on the platform? All right. Number one, right here. Number two, right here. All right, I'm going to let you guys... I'm going to let you guys introduce yourselves. Chris, can I borrow your mic? Oh, I'll borrow, use this one. I'm going to let y'all introduce yourselves so the church family knows who our uh, highly talented acting staff is today. All right, so tell everybody who you are and how old you are. Peyton, and he's 11. Y'all give him a hand because he's on stage in front of everybody. Way to go, Peyton. That's, you set the tone. All right? I'm Landon, and I'm 12. All right, so Landon is 12. Okay, so Peyton... And Landon and myself. Oh, I'm 45. <laughs> yeah, thanks for that. I'm Ben, I'm, uh, I'm 45. Turn a little gray right in here, all right? 1976, bicentennial baby, it was a good year. All right, so son number one, son number two. All right, so Jesus tells this parable, and I just want us to kind of identify with these two guys. So Jesus says, all right, the father's got a vineyard and it requires work. I mean, every vineyard's gonna, right? So you're gonna go and work on the farm. So the father has a vineyard that's gonna require some work. And so he goes to son number one and he says, will you go work in the vineyard? And he says, no way. But when the father leaves, he changes his mind and he goes anyway. All right, that's high caliber acting. Just so you're tracking. Son number two. The father goes to son number two. He has another son. So the father goes to the other son and says, uh, hey, will you go work in the vineyard today? <laughs> That's my boy. I'm so proud of you. Way to go. But when the father leaves, he changes his mind and does not go. All right. Now, while I have my high-class acting staff on the platform with me, you guys help me survey this crowd. Has this ever happened in your house? <laughs> Every parent in the room said, finally, somebody's preaching about it. No, 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 there's a, deeper, there's a deeper point, right? All right, so son number one, do you remember his reaction? He said, no, I'm not doing it. But then he changed his mind and said, okay, I'll do it. So late in the game, he changed his course, okay? Son number one, he says, I'm your guy, I'm on it. But when dad leaves, he never gets around to it. Now, what's interesting <coughs> is the social dynamic at the moment in these two kids is radically different, right? Because when, when I'm going, hey, will you do it? He's saying, no way. And I'm walking away mad. I'm like, what kind of kids? Kids these days are so lazy. Hey, this was 2,000 years old, just so you know. You know, kids these days, they won't do anything their parents ask them to do, right? And my friends are going, man, I'm so sorry. Your son's so shameful. But when I turn my back, he has a moment that we like to call conviction or repentance. And he goes to do the right thing, right? Now, here's the deal. In the moment, he's not getting a lot of credibility for it, right? 
I mean, we're, we're not feeling great. Everybody says that, I'm so sorry you got that rebellious kid at home, right? Okay, now kid number two, total different response, right? Like kid number two, I'm like, hey, will you go work in the vineyard? And you're like, yes, okay? So I'm thinking, my golden boy, right? If there was a Mr. Junior Miss, it'd be you, man. You'd be Junior Mr. You're like your best self. So proud of you. Can't stand it, right? Class favorite, class president. This is my boy, y'all, right? Everybody's saying, I wish we all had kids as good. No beating is yours. And right, I walk off. But what happens? Nothing. So the social reaction to these two kids in the household, in the moment, super different. Now, the, the whole sermon today is going to come down to this, right? Are you this dude or are you this dude, okay? We're gonna, now, we're going to nickname these guys, okay? We're going to nickname these guys so that you get, this is, this is what we're going to call the late sons and daughters. In other words, this is a guy that, yeah, they start off kind of slow. No, God, I'm not ready for that. But before you know it, they're obeying Jesus. We're going to call this guy... The say the right things, sons and daughters, okay? Because some of us in here, we say the right things to God. We just, you know, our, our actions never catch up to our words. Will you guys give these guys a big hand and let them sit with wherever, whoever they want to sit with? All right, thanks, fellas. Y'all are good. So let's just take a look at, uh, at these two guys, right? turns out Jesus was talking about more than kids with their moms and dads. A lot more. He was actually talking about religion. He was actually talking about whether the people who followed God in his day, or I guess I should say it this way, the people who claimed God's name in his day, whether they were really pleasing God or not. Because it turns out that a lot of them were super religious, always went to church, said the right thing, read their Bible, and prayed, but they were this guy. Like, they they were the kid who said the right things but did not follow through. And they were displeasing God. It also turns out that there were some people in Jesus' world who were really late to the Jesus party, right? I mean, they, they weren't in church for a long time. They made a train wreck of the first 10 or 15 or 25 years of their life. But when they met Jesus, they changed. Now, let me show you how I know that the parable of these two sons is really not talking about just moms and dads and household dynamics. It's definitely leveraging that common experience. But it's really speaking about church and about following God and about not just being religious. It's talking about obedience, gang. Let me show you. Look at verse 31. Let's read it again. Which of the two did what his father wanted? Now, he didn't say which of the two looked better. He didn't say which of the two made everybody think they were going to follow. Because anybody who's watching thinks, right, they think that son number two was going to do what the father wanted. They think that son number two is the the one that's going to please, but it's not true. The one that was really doing what the father wanted, the one that actually did the will of the father, was son number one, the guy that got off to a bad start, a late start, but he caught up. So verse 31, which of the two did what his father wanted? The first they answered. Jesus said to them, truly then I tell you, the tax collectors 
and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John, y'all remember John the Baptist last week? Repentance. For John came to show you the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. All right. So let's break this sermon into two chunks. And here is the world that these two chunks are going to live in, right? We're going to have the late sons and we're going to have to say the right thing, sons and daughters. But in the world of Jesus, here's what was going on. John the Baptist came to preach about repentance and forgiveness of sins. And a lot of people lined up to be saved. We read in Luke's gospel last week and we saw tax collectors. We saw just crowds of people. We saw Roman soldiers there all getting baptized. We also read in Luke chapter 7 verse 28 and 29 that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law would not get baptized. They rejected God's purpose for their life. They would not repent with John and get on board the Jesus movement. They were saying no to that. They were super religious. They knew their Bible. They went to synagogue. They went to temple worship. They were very, very religious people. They said the right things. They didn't follow through. And this week, Jesus takes that to the next level. He says, listen, there are tax collectors and prostitutes that are lining up to be baptized, that are running headlong into the kingdom of God, that are drinking deeply of God's grace, they're being forgiven and saved, their lives are being changed, they're being filled with the Spirit, they're able to see repentance and restoration, there are tax collectors and prostitutes that are new creation, there are tax collectors and prostitutes who are pleasing God today in the day of Jesus. While there are plenty of church folks that are saying the right thing but never doing the right thing, plenty of church folks that look right, sound right, say the right stuff, but they're simply not doing what God wants. And Jesus looks up and here's his atomic bomb. He says, listen to me, I'm telling you, God would rather have a church full of former prostitutes and tax collectors who get saved and obey God and were late to the Jesus party, but man, they're here now. He'd way rather have that than a church that looks squeaky clean, says the right things, didn't sin a whole bunch growing up. They, they've got perfect attendance in church and big Bibles, but they don't obey God. They don't move when God moves. They don't respond to the Spirit. So Jesus is looking up. He's speaking to us, and I want us to break it down. So I want to talk first. I just want to give a word to those late sons and daughters. When Jesus starts to break this down in verse 31, he says, which one of the two do you think did what the father wanted? And the first, they said. So Jesus said to them, I'm telling you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. And so let's pause and break down some of the things that Jesus is saying and some of the things that your pastor wants to say to you. If you are in church today and you are kind of the stereotype of that first son, son number one, right? You said no to God for a lot of years in your life. And maybe for you that just looked like you were an angry religious person. Or maybe for you it meant it like that 15-year drift that you left in 10th grade. You didn't come back to you had kids. And now you feel like, gosh, what did I do? Or, or maybe you ran from God for two decades. Or maybe you had 25 years of addiction where you were as far from God as you could possibly imagine. Maybe you lived a life of sexual immorality. Maybe just in your rebellion, you, just, you chased the almighty dollar. You were very, very successful but had a dead, empty spot in your heart. But in whatever your backstory is, good, bad, mild, grotesque, whatever your backstory is, 
you're standing here going, I'm that person. Look, I said no to God for a long time. I, kept, I was scared of God or mad at God. I didn't believe in God. I kept God for a long time. When Jesus said, would you come unto me? I said no. For a long time when Jesus said, can I get a witness? I said no. When Jesus said, who will go for us? Will you, can I send you? I said no. For a long time when Jesus said, I've stretched out my arms on the cross for your redemption. Will you accept the gift of life? I said no. For a long time when Jesus said, would you take up your cross, die to yourself and come after me? I told him no. But at some point in my life, I gave my heart to Jesus. And I missed the opportunity right to hear my mom and dad say how proud they were of me. You know, I, I, wasn't a, I wasn't a deacon in the church last year. I'm learning a lot of things. But, but I need you to know, Ben, I said yes to Jesus. I need you to know a couple of things, okay? If you are the late to the party son, I need you to know several things. First thing I want you to know, I want you to hear me say, you are not second class. You are crushing it. In this parable, you're the hero. In this story, King Jesus is saying, well done, good and faithful servant. We live in a culture that has learned to reward religious behavior, right? And so you feel like you're behind the game on that, right? You don't have 10, 20, 30 years of people patting you on the back and talking about how good you But I'm telling you, in the eyes of Jesus, in the eyes of your pastor, and in the eyes of this church, you're crushing it. So if you're the high school senior that's blown it for the last four years, but this year you're trying to walk with Jesus, or you're the mom and dad that's you're 15 years into this thing and you're so far off course you don't know which way to go to get back on course, but you're trying. I need you to know. I need you to know that you're not like a second class citizen here. You are the hero of this parable. You are Jesus' people. And you are part of this church. And I personally am thrilled about that. So if you look in the mirror and you think of yourself, oh, I'm not as good as, a, or I don't deserve to, or maybe I shouldn't speak up, or I haven't been here as long. I'm telling you, I'm telling you to act in obedience to Jesus and to me and to stop thinking that way and stop saying that and recognize your place in the family. Own it. Enjoy it. And teach us to walk in Jesus. All right, so if you are that son number one, first thing I need you to know, you're not second class. Man, you're the hero of the story. You keep it up. Another thing that I want you to know, I want you to know that when you turn from this life of disobedience to a life of obedience, you show everybody in the world what a picture of legitimate biblical conversion looks like. To have a heart change. To have a mind change. To reshape your worldview. To give control of your life to Jesus that's what salvation's all about. Like, I need you to know that you are the example of what Jesus is doing. Charge ahead. Share your story. Be a witness. So the, the third thing I want to do is I have known some friends, some brothers and some sisters, who because they still carry around guilt from those years where they told God, no. I'm in charge here. They're very slow to take their place in the church. They're very slow to recognize their identity in Jesus. And I'm just asking you today, just to, I mean, I don't mean, this is going to sound rude. I don't mean it to sound rude. But I'm looking at you today and I'm saying, get over it. And starting today, 
live in the redemption and the new identity that Jesus gave you. And, and you don't live in these stereotypes. Because in the world of Jesus, there were no second-rate sons and daughters. Listen to me, there were only obedient ones and disobedient ones. And if you are an obedient one, walk in that. You hear me? Let's move. What if you're this other person, right? Because here's the deal. This parable was not preached to the prostitutes and tax collectors. Like, I want to apply it that way because I see what a good thing Jesus is doing in so many of our lives. But this parable was preached to this guy. The parable was preached to the person who is religious, who has a strong church reputation, but currently is not obeying God. So that when the Spirit moves them, they're saying no. They'll tell everybody in church they're saying yes. They'll, they'll say, I'll do everything God tells me to do. I'll obey, the, I'll obey the law and the commandments. When Messiah comes, I'll receive him. But here stands Jesus, and they're rejecting him. They're saying no to the Father, no to the Son, no to the Spirit. No matter how they look in ancient Judaism, in the first century world, no matter how right and religious they look when they say, I'll do whatever God wants, Jesus is telling us you're not doing what God wants. These people, Caiaphas the high priest, the members of the Sanhedrin that called for the crucifixion of Jesus, they scare me to death because they show me how easy it is to be very religious on the outside, get pats on the backs for it, maybe even have like religious positions around it, but still not be willing to obey God when he tells us to do a thing, to forgive somebody to be generous, to speak in wisdom, to sacrifice, to open our home, to serve, to adjust our schedule, to change our family dynamics, to walk away from a habit. We'll tell God yes out loud and in public. But it's easy to be religious and not have a relationship with Jesus that is born from repentance. So what do I say to us? To that guy that looked really religious, that son who in this parable, that son that said yes but then said no, that represents all the religious people in Jesus, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the, 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 the Sanhedrin members, the high priest. All the sons that everybody in Jesus' world thought were really pleasing God. But Jesus knew they weren't. Because Jesus knew they really were not obeying God. What would I say to us? Number one... I want to tell us to pay attention to the word you. I'm just going to read two verses, 31 and 32. And I want you to notice how often in these two verses, Jesus speaks directly to this group and says you. Just hear it, feel it. He's talking to us. He's talking to a religious crowd. Look in verse 31. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first they answered. So Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and sinners, the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Gang, what Jesus wanted in this sermon was people like me, religious people, to obey him if we weren't walking with Christ. And many of you are. So this is not like just for all religious people. This is for those religious people who are walking in the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Look good on the outside, but on the inside we're not obeying. And we can get there, right? Like I've been there. 
And maybe you have too at some point in your life. Jesus is wanting us to respond to him and experience what that other son's going to experience. Like repentance is for us too. Like the, the thing I want to say here is that this is our sermon and we need to respond. Second thing I want to say is, gang, it is possible to say you're following God but find yourself fighting Jesus. It is possible to say you follow God but find yourself fighting Jesus. You say you follow God, I'm a Christian, and, and you can mean that you agree to all his principles and way of life, that you'll be religious and say the Ten Commandments. You probably know all ten of them, but sure, I'm sure you keep them. You can say, like, yeah, 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 I respect God, I worship God, I'm a Christian, I follow God. But you can still find yourself gridlocked fighting Jesus because Jesus is not a nebulous concept or idea. Jesus is resurrected and alive and ruling the church from the right hand of God. He will send the Spirit to prompt and comfort and guide, and in that Spirit, He will tell you to do things. Jesus' word gets very, very personal when He will begin to tell you, do this, follow me, do that, don't do And we will start to see... That it's possible to say we follow God, we take his name, we're Christians, but fight Jesus when he tells us to take our next step of faith. It's possible. And that's exactly where these Pharisees and tax collectors, these Pharisees and scribes, Sanhedrin members, Sadducees and chief priests, exactly where they were. And they had God's name. There's nobody that held God's name more clearly than the high priest. That he's the very guy that slaps Jesus in the face and wants him dead. And that scares me, to be honest. I don't want to be that. I want to guard my heart. Listen, if this other son can be repentant and obey Jesus when Jesus speaks, I want to do it even more. Let's keep going. I want to show you, kind of as a Bible study tool, how strong this theme is becoming. That you can be very religious and you can oppose Jesus. I want you to see that, that this parable was intended to speak to first century Judaism and hopefully to the church of our day. And remind us that obedience is more important in God's eyes than status. It's obedience. Let me show you where Jesus comes in. You can write these scripture down if you want to. Read them when you get home. I want to show you how the conflict between Jesus and these high priests and chief priests and, and Sadducees, I want to show you how it's elevating in Matthew's gospel here, just right around this passage. If you look backwards and if you look forward, if you look at the context, here's what you see. In chapter 20, verse 1 and following, Jesus tells the parable of the worker and the vineyard. And in this parable... Uh, people are envious that God is showing grace to latecomers. The people that say they've worked all day for God are jealous of the people that God is redeeming. Instead of celebrating according to the will of God, they're resisting it and showing envy, personal frustration. In chapter 21, triumphal entry, Jesus is welcomed by pilgrims who've come from Galilee to celebrate him, but the religious leaders in Jerusalem basically tell everybody, please hush, y'all stop. Jesus tell everybody to be quiet. Jesus doesn't respond super well to them. In 20, in, in, uh, he goes in, he turns the tables over, and he calls them a den of robbers. I don't want to ever be a church that's a den of robbers. Here's the deal. Like that church, that temple of Jerusalem in first, it looked as religious as it ever had. 
Like whether you're a den of robbers or a house of prayer has nothing to do with how you look on the outside. It has everything to do with where, whether we're obeying the will of God on the inside. And that requires humility and repentance and a surrender of control to God. We have our parable in chapter 21, verse 28. After our parable in chapter 22, verse 1, you have the parable of the wedding banquet where those guests that were invited early, which would be the religious crowd of the first century world, the Pharisees and others, they didn't respond well to their invitation. And Jesus basically said, I'm going to invite the tax collectors and the lepers and everybody in the highways and the hedges. And any sinner that will repent was going to be part of my family. But I'm kicking you out, throwing you into outer darkness, a.k.a. hell. That is strong. Listen, you can be in church and not saved. In chapter 23, he preaches a whole sermon against the Pharisees. Like religious people like me. The whole chapter 23 in Matthew, strongest language in the entire book of Matthew, and it's targeting preachers who are religious but are leading people to self-righteousness and not to reconciliation with God. No repentance. Chapter 24, Jesus preaches a sermon about the destruction of the temple. He's done with it. Forty years after the crucifixion, he's going to bring it down. And he does. I hope he never has to bring churches around here down. I hope he never has to judge us. I hope that we will stay fresh and soft and obedient and moldable generation after generation after generation. In chapter 25, verse 31, we find the parable of the sheep and the goats. You know what happens, right? Sheep go to heaven, the goats go to hell. And they say, why? And the answer, now think about what we read today. The answer is because you didn't do anything. You didn't obey me. When I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me anything to drink. All around this passage in the Gospel of Matthew, you see this tension between Jesus and some very religious people whose hearts were not bent towards the Lord. And all through this part of Matthew's gospel, we're reminded over and over again what it looks like to be that son that has status and reputation that tells, I'll do anything, oh yes, I'll please God. But when nobody's watching, you won't. You keep God at arm's length, you quench the Holy Spirit, you fight Jesus. But man, from cover to cover in the gospels of Jesus, we see what it's like to be that other son. Either that religious person who gets saved and your life has changed. Some Pharisees got saved and changed. All 12 of the disciples were, were, were people who wanted to follow a rabbi. Some of them were already following John the Baptist. It's not like being religious means you're bad. It's just that sometimes you and I can use religion as a crutch. It can become a blindfold. It can make us not see our own hypocrisy. Like we can think that the outward trappings of religion makes God happy. And this parable says it doesn't. The outward trappings of religion doesn't do anything for God. What makes God happy is that we would do the will of God and that we would obey him. And we can do that as a religious person whose heart is soft. Or we can do that as a guy who blew it for 20 years and we were on equal footing. And we're adopted into God's family just, just the same, just together. But it all comes down to repentance. Like in this passage, it's all about whether you repented. He says, for John came to you to show the way of righteousness. What was that way? Repentance for forgiveness. And you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Like it doesn't matter which kid you are. Whether you're the religious guy that everybody... If you're this guy, if you're... Watch this, this is awesome to me. If you're this guy... 
If you said, yes, God, I'll do anything you want. And then for years in religious hypocrisy and self-righteousness, when God turned his back, you lived in your hard-hearted selfishness. You might as well have been a tax collector or a prostitute. Nobody in church thought you were a big sinner because nobody can see our hearts. But if they'd seen your hard-headedness, if they'd seen your cold heart, they would have said, oh my gosh, I'm embarrassed. You can be this guy for 20 years. Listen to me. And then look up one day and realize who you are and what you've done and recognize that the whole time you've really been this guy. You've been telling God no for 20 years. In, in religious garb, you've been telling God no for 20 years. But today, you could repent and for the first time in a long time, do what God wants you to do. You can begin to love and walk in faith. Like, can we shed some of that outer shell of religion? I think we can. I wondered what makes me want to be this guy, right? What makes me this say the right words brother who's not pleasing God but pretending? couple of things, gang, that I, that I thought of just thinking through the Gospels. Jealousy. Like I can want status. The high priest and chief priests were envious of Jesus as the crowd started looking to him and they lost their footing and their control and their power. Jealousy. Fear. If I give God control of my life, what's he going to ask me to do? If he asks me to forgive or reconcile, does that mean I have to let go of this bitterness that I've treasured for years? Yeah, it does, actually. That makes me scared. Some of you are afraid God will call you to the other side of the world on missions. That's fine. If he does, he'll take great care of you there, and it's right where you want to be. But a whole lot of you are scared to death that he won't call you anywhere. You'll stay right here, but you'll have to start obeying him and do some things you've not wanted to do for a long time. And that's scarier. For some of us, it's control. Like I can tell, I can say, sure, I'm going to do it. And then when you stop looking, I'll do whatever I want to because I still want to be in charge of my own life. I don't want to give God control. And that's fundamentally what it is to make Jesus your Lord. And for some of us, it's just like passions, pleasures, lust. I'm not ready to walk in discipline with Jesus. I just want to do what feels right next. I don't know. I, I don't know what might make you guys or me sometimes, you know, want to be this brother. But the sermon to me is a reminder that what God wants from us is obedience. And whichever brother obeys Jesus, that's the one that's pleasing the Father. So are you obeying Jesus? All right, so I can't help but say this at the end of the sermon, right? And uh, Chris, if you worship team, you guys are welcome. Go ahead and join me. That'll give everybody some hope, right? Um, oh, he's almost done. They're up there. No, they, they can stand there a long time. Um, I can't help but think of another parable of two brothers, right? I think in Luke's gospel about this parable of the prodigal son, right? In that, in that same story, second verse, right? One kid runs away from the father and he's a long way away, living in wild sin, but he comes home and pleases the father. All the while, there's an older brother that says, I've been slaving for you. He is just as far from the father relationally as the younger brother. Geographically, he's on the property. But man, he's light years away from the father in his heart. And the whole parable kind of ends with you wondering what happens to the guy, right? Does that, does that guy who represents the Pharisees and religious people in the first century, does that guy open his heart to Jesus too? Because he could. He could. He could feel the father's hug. Like he could have the dad bring him in close and say, man, I didn't know you felt this way. I love you. Let, let's just change that. 
Let's stay close, but let's live in relationship. So I guess what I'm saying is, whichever brother you are today, what I want you to hear is I want you to know that Jesus wants you to walk in obedience to him because here's what you need to know is that obedience comes out of relationship. Jesus said in John 14, uh, chapter, chapter 14 of John, verse 28 and 29, that if we, if we love him, we will obey his commands. And Jesus wants nothing more than you to not fake it or pretend or look right. Jesus wants you to love him and to be loved by him and to walk in obedience. And I'm inviting everybody in this church or at home on the live stream to be a part of that for the rest of your life. How about it? No more pretending. You don't have to fake it. You don't have to please me or anybody else. But what if for the rest of our lives we just agreed today to obey Jesus? That's what I'm inviting you to do. For some of you, that means you'll be saved today. You'll take your first step of obedience and we'll celebrate your baptism. For others, it means you're ready to lay down a grudge, ready to obey Christ and forgive, ready to turn over a new leaf, ready to let Jesus pop the hood and start healing that hypocrisy. Whoever you are, wherever you are, this is a story about two brothers. Man, I want you to be the first one. I want you to finish your life walking with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I invite my sisters and brothers, my friends and my family to come to the altar and pray. Lord, to open their heart and their mind to you. And I pray, God, that your spirit would do a powerful, supernatural work in our church. God, that you would give us repentance and healing. That you would let us obey you. So Christ, I just pray that you'd grant us the courage to take that first step. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Church family, I'm here. If the altars are open, you come and pray. I'm here if you want to pray with me or if you need to come and confess your faith in Jesus for the first time and be saved. But let's stand today and let's respond to Jesus.